Greetings, troubled listeners, and welcome back to the Troubled Men podcast. I am Renee Komen, sitting in my safe house on the line with my co-host, the original troubled man for troubled times and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Hey, man. It's all <laughs> happening, man. It's all happening. Yeah. Hey, man. What's going on? Oh, not too much. Well, you know, I was weird. You were start starting to talk about how uh, everything was coming together, and I noticed in the uh, on the the headline of the newspaper today, uh, Mardi Gras parades canceled. Excellent. I love it. I love which, it. Which would be, you know, top of your uh, the Manny Chevrolet platform as as to, to how to ha- you've been saying it for months. Well, for years now to get rid of Mardi Gras. Yeah. It, for it, years? Okay. Yeah. Well, for, yeah, I said it never with uh, Jonathan Freilich. That was about yes. uh, eight, nine months. You know, remember last Mardi Gras, so many people got killed trying to get beads. They got ran over by floats and their heads decapitated and all that. <laughs> and that wasn't enough to end it. Finally, mm-hmm. this uh, pandemic, uh, for all it's done, has, uh, you know, uh, I mean, it's been a rough year. I mean, we've had this pandemic, we've had yes. riots, we've had uh, oh. the election of hate. Holy cow, and, and, yes. Uh, and the murders in, in, in our city have mm-hmm. uh, are up by, crime and murder are up by 87% in New Orleans from last wow, year. Well, you know, you were saying last year how, you know, we were, we'd fallen to number four on the, on the, the list of most deadly cities. And you were encouraging that, you know, you were saying we could do better. <laughs> yeah, well, we are doing better. Now. Okay, think, well, there you go. Getting our numbers uh, back up. I think it's uh, it's Chicago and then us wow. as far as murders go, and crime, and and, and carjackings. My kind and, of town, uh, you know. Yeah, and uh, um, yeah, your kind of town until it happens to you. Until you're, well, I'm saying Chicago. Of, it's my kind of town. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so um, uh, they've decided to have no parades. Right. And, uh, but they said we could still celebrate Mardi Gras. So I, I don't know how anyone does it. What do they do? They, they go to a ball. That's just as dangerous. You, know? you sit in your backyard on an ice chest and drink until you pass out. <laughs> I don't know. I guess so. I mean, you know, you know. Uh, I'm happy. I, I, I don't need to go out. I, you know, it's over. And I did it without even becoming mayor. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Yeah. I, I had my wish come true without even becoming mayor. But uh, what we really need, I think because of this past year, 2020, and, and it's not even over yet, there's going to be more shit to go down, is I think what this city needs is a um, – we need to have a – Naked touch football game between men and women. I think that, <laughs> I think can, that would can be. We, can, can we pull that off with social distancing? I'm not sure, man. I don't care, man. Okay. I We're going to suspend I, that, the rules for that one. Yeah, we'll bend the rules. You okay. Know? Um, but as far as parades and all that go, uh, the mayor said to the crews, if you can think of a way to do this without parades, then, you know, pretty much good luck to you, you know? Okay. Well, that was, that's, uh, maybe they should have like, uh, crews should hire helicopter pilots and helicopters to fly over people's houses and drop things on them. You know, Hmm, that could be dangerous, Manny. I'm not sure for the per how, how the permitting is going to go for that, but, uh, it's over, you know, right, right. right. Mardi Gras is over and I'm glad. 
Uh, you know, um, okay. Well, it's going to be a lot of disappointed people out there, Manny. But you know, looking at the photograph from last year, uh, from the Rex Parade, I guess on Canal Street or something, and that that sea of people, it's it boggles the mind. You know, with our new our new paradigm to to think that people even did that a year ago. You know, and you you can't possibly imagine, you know, with the 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 virus in existence that people doing that again. It would. It, definitely wouldn't well, work. Yeah. And I'm sure if you look at those people, you know, reaching for throws and all that kind of stuff, if you look at those pictures of those people, I bet you a lot of them are dead. Hmm. Uh-huh. You know, because they came from all over the world and they, they, they came here and everyone spread it out and now they brought it back to all over the world and, um, and they're dead. Well, yeah. yeah, some some of them certainly are dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, speaking of the, the the naked football game, they did have a week ago. I don't know if you saw this, but they had a swingers convention in town. Oh yes, Manny, I did see that, and I and I, I was thank you for remembering that. Yeah, they, they usually they come to town, and there's a few thousand of swingers that come to New Orleans, and they they all swap their diseases with each other. Right, and, uh, STDs. Uh, yeah, all that kind of stuff. And they share, you know, your, their wives, they swap, and their husbands, they swap, and they meet new people, and they have new sex toys that they, uh, that try, they, out. Uh, yeah, yeah. they try out on each other or with other people. But I did see, like, you know, they had a news report about it, and I was watching it, and it's just so funny. It's like these swingers and these nudists, they're always the most unattractive people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're always the mo- like that naked bike thing that they do all over the world. And they do that here. The people sure. that get naked, the people that get naked are, are the last people you want to see naked. Right. You know? well, that's always the problem with any kind of nude uh, yeah. activity, you know. It's, it's like, yeah. you know, uh, like they call it skinny dipping. But if you look at these skinny dipping, dippers, they're just really dipping. They're not very skinny. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know. So right. anyway, uh what's been going on with you? Uh what's been going on with me? Um well, you know, played played a few gigs, uh did a, a couple of Susan Cowsell gigs last week. Um uh, you know, those are it's great to be playing again, you know, a little bit, uh, you know, carefully and these these Were those are- streamed? Uh one of them was, one of them wasn't. We did a, a gig from Longview Garden. Uh, that was just a, a daytime uh, gig out on the meadow there at, uh, at uh, Longview Garden, and uh, but then we we did one on Saturday that was live streamed, um, and actually we're doing one again on Friday from our guests' uh, specially designed live streaming studio. It has a, an amazing setup. We're going to talk to him all about that. Do you make any money doing that stuff? Uh, you know, the, the biggest thing is just to get to play and, and have people be able to see you playing, that you're still there, uh, you know, active and, you know, uh, again, get, get to do the thing you love to do is, is the, the, the biggest reward of it. But, uh, but yeah, you know, some people are, are more successful than others at, uh, you know, um, getting a uh, support over PayPal and, and Venmo and all of those, those kind of, uh, so things. if you do something for Susan or somebody else, uh, and, and you do a Venmo or a PayPal. So just like any gig, you, you split the profits. 
Um, yeah, you know, I guess it would depend. Or does the headliner get more and you get like, you know, your musician wage? Uh, well, there's any number of ways people could do something, but, uh, but it's, I've been satisfied with, uh, with, with all of the arrangements that have, have gone down. I think most people generally split stuff pretty evenly in, in New Orleans. It seems to, seems to be the case. Um, so did that, uh, you know, uh, I, w- I was wondering with you, you were mentioning last week that, uh, you know, with the, the cases spiking on the campus where you work, uh, you were seeing a, an exodus of students, an early exodus. Yeah, thank goodness. Get them out of here, man. Has and, that continued this past Oh, week? yeah. Oh, yeah. They're going, man. But the right. thing is, there's such a spike that, uh, you know, they've been housing and quarantining so many students downtown at the Hyatt. And the Hyatt is right now at full capacity of people being quarantined. Really? Quarantined and, and isolated, too? It's not yeah, just... isolated yeah, yeah. and right. quarantined, whatever you want to say. Right. Um, but, yeah, so, yeah, uh, school's supposed to end next Tuesday, but pretty much everyone's leaving now. So they're just going. They're just like, can't do this. Wow. You know? So, that's, you know, even if they're positive or whatever, they're just going home and they're going getting on airplanes, oh, or Jesus. on trains and stuff like that. They're just spreading it even more, oh, you know? Man. Now, now that brings up a, a question. We have, uh, you know, the, uh, Thanksgiving is, is next week, and we have all these Thanksgiving traditions. You, you traditionally have a party on Thanksgiving morning. Uh, yeah, I have a um, – me and my wife started a few uh, – some years ago because you know, the fairgrounds is a big deal on Thanksgiving Day. The people like to go see the ponies on the fairgrounds. Is that like the first day of the racing season then, usually? It used to be, but uh, they, you know, since Churchill Downs took over, they started the season a few weeks earlier. So it used to be a really big tradition that it was the first day right. of uh, the racing and stuff. But we, since we live close to the fairgrounds, people would go to the fairgrounds and they'd come by our place and have some food and drink and then go to the fairgrounds. But we're not doing it this year because um, uh, of the COVID. We've decided not to do that. I mean, it's a smart thing to do. So we're just going to be my just the three of us here uh, watching football. And um, so, yeah, it is what it is. Let's introduce our guest. We've been waiting so long. and I, I was late. So let's introduce our guest. Okay. Um, well, uh so, so our, our guest is a, a great piano player, organ player, songwriter, singer. He's, uh, he's uh, from Baton Rouge, but he's been around New Orleans for a long time. He's, uh, he has his own, own band now, but he, for a long time he, had, he was the leader of the group uh, Papa Grow's Funk. Uh, so without further ado, John Papa Grow. Welcome, John. Yeah, you're right, Renee. Uh, man. <laughs> hey, man. Thanks for hey. coming on. Uh, Renee, we got to fix your uh, research data. I was okay. born in Mercy Hospital. Really? Yeah. Okay. In New Orleans. My uh, parent, my dad got his master's at LSU in special ed. And that's how I grew up in that room. But, uh, I got Mississippi River blood. Okay, John. Uh, All right. I stand corrected, man. <laughs> but you did grow up in, in Baton Rouge for... Uh, you went to high school in Baton Rouge, correct? Yeah, since I was five uh, through high school. Okay. Now, now there was a great um, high school in, in Baton Rouge that had a music program. I knew a lot of people that, that came out of it, like uh, our mutual friend Tim Oquan. 
uh, went there. Was what what high school was that? The one in Baton Rouge was called Baton Rouge High School. Oh, okay. <laughs> right, aptly named. Yes. But they had, so, they had a great music program, but I I didn't go to that one. I went to Catholic high school, and okay. um, there was no known name musicians that came out of that school until after I left. Okay, now, John, did anybody put their hands on you? Was there, was there any bad touching at Catholic high school? You know, I was an altar boy when I was a little kid. Uh, I did all the sacraments, did all the, you know, audience, uh, CYO stuff. I got out clean. Nice. <laughs> nice. Good for you, John. Yes. They must have seen, like, like myself, that you look like somebody that couldn't keep their mouth shut, couldn't keep a secret. Yeah, some of the brothers, uh, you the same brothers that work at uh, Brother Martin and St. Stanislaus. I did get a couple backhands every once in a while on the back of the head or across the face or something like that. Okay, just a little slap and tickle. Yeah, so they were into the bondage more, right? Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Now, there's another guy from Baton Rouge that I was good friends with, uh, this, this real degenerate but really fantastic trumpet player, Billy Spencer. Were you, did you ever cross paths with Billy Spencer? Man, I know that name, but no, I don't really know him, but I do know that name. Okay. Yeah, he was a, a scream trumpet player. He could play, you know, like whatever triple C's or whatever the fucking high notes are in the trumpet, yeah. uh, you know, as a, as a junior in high school. Um, he's no longer with us. He, he finished his career, uh, playing with Casey and the sunshine band. And, uh, and I think he died of, of kidney failure at some point along the line, but you know, uh, that's probably how I know his name because there was a couple people from Baton Rouge in Casey and the sunshine band. Okay. There Interesting. were the bass player might've been as well. Huh? Crazy. Crazy. So, so you, uh, you, you grew up in Baton Rouge, but then you wind up going to Loyola and you, and, but you, you, you're a French horn major. Well, when I started, I did French horn and jazz piano. I don't know what I was thinking because I walked into my first lesson with Ellis Marcellus and I didn't know who Oscar Peterson was, Bill Evans, Miles Davis. I didn't know anything about jazz. I knew rock and roll and that's about it. Now, this was at Loyola that you were studying with Ellis? Uh-huh. It was his last year before he went to uh, University of Commonwealth. Okay. Two years before he started the UNO program. Oh, okay. Well, that was, that was, a, that was a fortunate uh, 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 tenure of study for you. That's, uh, you know, I, it's my teacher as well. What a, what a, what a monster of, a, of an instructor. I mean, I was player. not ready for him. I didn't have a clue what he was talking about until i don't know maybe 10 15 years ago it all kind of made sense you know on the back end okay well better late than never john you know a lot of these things take time to to germinate you know i consider myself a late bloomer okay well that's that's cool again better than better than uh uh burning out too quickly you know you don't want to reach your peak in high school john not at all that's why manny still has a chance of being mayor Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you something, John. Uh, I, I about a week ago when I found out you were going to be on the show, or a few days ago, I, I googled your name, and it says you're an, a musician, but your genre is folk music. Why would it say that? I have no idea. <laughs> hmm. Because really? 
Yeah, yeah, it was very strange. It says your genre is folk, but yet you you play in all these funky bands. Yeah. So uh, somebody got I don't know something's wrong. But okay, so you 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 get out. You're in Baton Rouge, and what's your first band? Do you start it, or you just join a band? I joined a band in high school. I mean, in college, first semester, there were some guys trying to start a top forty wedding band, and there were a bunch cool. of jazz guys doing it. And they asked me to the audition, and they said, we want to play uh, Jump, the Van Halen song. I'm like, perfect. I had my synthesizer with me. I had the sounds all laid out. And I went, boom, 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 boom. And they were like, cool. And I said, Every, played the song. It was great. And I go, hey, what about the intro? Because if you're, if you're a big Van Halen fan, you know the intro is this spacey, synthy thing. Yeah. Or, I knew that, and I had the sounds for that. And I played that, and I got the gig. There you go. <laughs> so that, that was like my first two years. And then I uh, played with a couple other society wedding cover bands. Um, and then I got with a, also a band called Rum Boogie, which now, this uh, was in, in college or after college or this is in college. This is probably like oh. my senior year of college. Okay. And Rum Boogie mostly played like Madigan's. Uh, and then a few Place on, uh, on Madigan's the on the Riverbend, that place? That yeah, call it. Had, had live music. John Mooney would play on Sundays. Right. And then Fridays and Saturdays would, you know, not on a regular schedule, but different bands would play on Friday and Saturdays. And we played, like, you know, the whole Loyola Music School would just show up. We'd pack, like, 300 people in that little bar. Wow, oh, really? my God. Really? Yeah, it was amazing. We had great times. Oh, because that place is tiny. And that was it mostly was, a Loyola band. That was Loyola students in that band. Uh, yeah, and then a couple older guys. Uh, one is Dave Ferrado, who's still playing music around now. Sure. But he was his brainchild. Okay, I know uh, Dave. Yeah, but he was kind of like our godfather who crossed, uh, you know, sixties classic rock with Blue Eyed Soul, New Orleans Blue Eyed Soul. Oh, okay. Um, he really. It was his concept. He hooked up with Mark Mullins and. Mark got all the college kids uh, to play for Dave real cheap. Oh, Mark was in that band too? Yes. yes. Oh, okay. Right on. Well, I knew that those guys had a connection. Now I understand maybe, you know, part of what why that is. They go back yeah, that so far. Like doing that, and then, you know, when I wasn't playing, you know, I'm running the streets, going to Benny's Bar and uh, Storyville, and Miss Mays and, you know, all that kind of shit. Are you, are you playing on the streets just with your piano and stuff? No, I would just run the streets, uh, <laughs> after my gigs. Okay. Right. Yeah. I did, I, one thing I've never done, I've never bust. I've never done that. Yeah, I've never done that either. That's, uh, I don't know. I, I used to always think of that as like begging with an instrument, but uh, I understand that people do it in a, in a, a little bit more uh, uh, sophisticated way. Yeah. <laughs> Seen it, it's pretty entertaining. I mean, live streaming is not are that much different from busking for sure no no it's 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 pretty similar actually yes you're correct so so you play in that band um then you 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 actually graduate from loyola with that yeah, with so that degree in uh in uh french horn yeah after two years of jazz piano i realized that was not my calling and uh so i got a french horn degree because i wanted to get a degree and realized french horn wasn't my calling and that it was okay much <laughs> I don't know what my calling was going to be when I got out of school, but I just played music. I was getting gigs, uh, having a fun time, and just kind of found my way, which is why I said I'm a late bloomer. 
because none of it really made sense to me to my late twenties. You know. Yeah. Now, did you have a certain thing in mind, like, okay, I'm going to try to make this work by a certain age, and then if not, I'm going to uh, maybe switch courses? Or yeah, I always told myself if I couldn't make a, I don't know if it was thirty thousand dollars by the time I was thirty, uh, I'd have to pack it up. And yeah. Something. When I was twenty-five, I had my first uh, daughter. When I was uh, twenty-eight, I had my second one. So. Uh, you know, those were good focus moments for me. I'm like, okay, you got to really do something, make some money. And that's when I went to Bourbon Street. And I worked on oh. Bourbon Street for 12 years. And that's pretty much all my rooms meet. Wow, really? You played there on the street that long? Man, oh, yeah. man. I did. And it was the, probably the greatest thing that could have happened to me. Uh, I was playing with two other guys called Late As Usual. We did like soft rock before there was yacht rock. Before it was like a big thing now. And we played a lot of Jimmy Buffett music, and I had to learn. Oh, Jesus. I don't know. We were probably played like four or 500 tunes. The guys I played wow. with, just about every Creedence Clearwater song, uh, every Van Morrison song. We did 80 Jimmy Buffett songs. 80 oh, Jimmy Buffett songs. Jesus, I don't think Jimmy does 80 Jimmy Buffett songs. No, not at all. Not at all. Oh, uh, cow. I mean, the set was just huge, and they were throwing songs at me left and right because people would come in. They'd been playing there for probably 10 years before I got the gig. So they had a fan base would come in and different times of year that many people would come in for their weekend, spend the whole weekend with them and they roll out all their requests and make the bank on the tip jug. Right. Right. So, you know, it's like I did that. I learned all this, this music and it was completely different from what I was studying at Loyola, the serious jazz or the serious classical music. It was actually music became fun again. And so huh. I started really having a ball and that's also where playing all these great songs, you learn about songwriting and what makes a great song. You know, I used to think Sweet Caroline was the stupidest song in the world until I actually had to learn how to play and sing it. It's, it's a phenomenal song. It's simple, but it's a phenomenal song. And, you know, it's, uh, that was just a kind of a big moment of all those things coming together. And so I was working on the weekends, but of course, I really wasn't playing the music I really wanted to play, which I fell into really loving, realizing my love for New Orleans music. And so uh, word had got out uh, to George Porter, who was looking for a keyboard player. So I got recommended to him. So in 96, I just got George's band. But then I would think the weekend's on Tropical Isle, and if George was gigging on the road, then I would take off and play with George. And the guys got kind of frustrated because I was taking off more of their gig and on the road more with George. And I wound up parlaying that into playing solo on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesdays at the Tropical Isle. So I, then I was playing solo on acoustic guitar or my keyboard uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And that's how I paid all my bills. And then I would go on the road with George, make a little money. And that's when I started a band with Mark Mullins called Mulebone. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. But, but of course you would, when George calls you, you got to go. Cause that's, you know, uh, uh, irreplaceable kind of experience, you know, it's like, uh, correct. Right. And he paid the most money at that time. Sure. And you know, it's, it's a, it's a prestige gig, you know, it's a, and, and again, you know, this is only one George Port, there's only one meters, you know, it's like, uh, you, you kind of get folded into that, that, that tradition. Uh, I remember after the first year playing with George, we were playing at Jazz Fest, and we're getting ready. We're coming off the stage 
uh, before the encore. And I was just like, George, thanks for this first year. It was just great. Uh, I learned a lot. I love it. And he goes, hey, you're doing good. Just quit fucking up. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's a good lesson to learn. Sure, sure. <laughs> so how long did you wind up playing with George for? I was in his band for seven years into 2000. Wow, man. So it was like 96 to 2002. Wow, that's a, that's a good long time, man. There must have been a, a lot of lessons learned there, huh? Every gig was a lesson learned. Uh, and George is, I mean, he's a great, I don't know, he's easy to understand. He communicates really well. But when it comes to music, I don't know, he doesn't really talk about music. But when you're playing with him, it's like the most clear conversation when he's playing behind his instrument. It's yeah. it really amazing. Um, he can really show you and tell you exactly what he wants to hear with his fingers and his singing. Uh, it's, it's great. He's just right. he's the best. Well, you know, we had, we had, we had Malcolm Byrne on the, the, uh, the show last week and we were talking about, uh, you know, people being in the studio and knowing intuitively what to do and, and how, you know, guys in new Orleans, they'll go in show them a song and they just, they don't talk about it at all. They just start kind of playing and coming up with something. And I was saying, yeah, it's it's almost like the more you talk about it, the you know the the less effective it can be because oftentimes if you tell somebody something, you try to make get them to, to make a two percent change, it, it, they're going to wind up making a twenty percent change. And uh, they said, arguing about it. <laughs> well, that too, yeah. <laughs> I'm not yes. totally agree, but George is like, he can just, he just lays it all out there and he's done so many gigs with play with so many people at so many levels, uh, that he just know, he always knows what's to do. Right. Right. So, it, so, so wait a minute, John, you go from George Porter and then you play with Chris Owens. How is that? It's, it's gotta be a big, a big adjustment there. But you had to learn a lot with Chris Owens too, right? I did one gig. I filled in <laughs> for the keyboard player uh, who was, I guess, going on a vacation with his family or something like that. And he asked me to do the gig. And I had been warned uh, about it. But I took the gig because I liked the guy and wanted to help well, him. What out. were you warned about it, John? What was the warning? Well, first thing is the money is terrible. Okay. <laughs> Go on. So, the, yeah, the money is bad. She is on automatic pilot and you kind of just got to follow her uh, with whatever she wants to do. And so I said, well, okay, well, what's the set list though? Cause I don't have time to put together whatever she wants to do. That could be, you know, four hours of music. Who knows? I like, so he handed me 20 tunes and I learned them. Then he said, I'll have charts for you. So I got his charts. On, I show up on the gig. Well, it's just basically a three piece band, a sax player, keyboard player and a drummer. So I'm supposed, what I didn't know is I had to kick bass. Oh, Jesus. I had to play all the arrangements and we do a fast little rehearsal before the first, I would say, not to say gig, I would say show. Cause she really mm -hmm. treated it like a show. Um, and she was expecting all these dance cues, horn parts, string parts. Cause she had all these kicks choreographed. Right. Oh, and you were supposed to play all those. Yeah. And they weren't mm -hmm. in the part that, you know, I didn't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. 
And she's and, turning back, looking at you like, come on, asshole, play, play the parts. <laughs> absolutely. That's exactly what she did. <laughs> I could see it coming. <laughs> of course and she did. I guess she was so frustrated with me. I was so frustrated. She wound up singing the same song twice on the set list about four songs apart just because she didn't know any better, I guess. She I got I rattled. She called one song. It was in the key of A, and we started singing, and she's singing a song we already played in the key A that was kind of similar. Oh, geez. Uh, it was just it was just bad. Uh, I, she paid me. I left, and then I got a call the next morning from the drummer saying second night was canceled. Uh-huh. You were happy. You were I relieved. Was, you know, it's like we do a million, you know, thousands of gigs with hundreds of different musicians and you know hundreds of different clubs over decades and you can ha- i have an experience like i think definably this is the absolute worst gig i've ever done in my life <laughs> <laughs> and Bernie, why don't you explain who chris owens is to the nation oh yeah of course i think the the troubled men would really like to see chris <laughs> owens probably from 1950 or 1960 yeah but this was in 1995, 96. Yeah. And she's had a club on, on Bourbon Street or in the quarter for years, right? She married a wealthy Texas oil man, and she was a dancer and wanted to be right. a performer. So he bought her a building on the a corner of St. Louis and Bourbon, made a nightclub for her, and she put on a variety show. Right, yes. For decades. And she still owns the bar. Uh, she's still alive. She's got to be close mid nineties by now, I would think. Jesus, early 90s. but she's been performing up until the pandemic, right? I believe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's had at least I'm I'm guessing at least twenty plastic surgeries. At least. Oh, yeah, and, and she she's got a a boyfriend or a husband who was kind of like Liberace's chauffeur kind of thing, right? Yes. Yeah. When she put those uh, nylons on, her legs still looked great in mid nineties. <laughs> okay. Well, well, if you say so, John. <laughs> I thought it would you be those kicks that I missed. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> right, right, right. But she, she could not sing. She could barely dance. Uh, but the people that came to see her, I mean, they were lifelong fans. So who's to say what I know? She, people were coming to pay to see her perform, and good for her. Well, I got to say that Chris Owens at the Jazz Fest was always – like a, a kinky uh you know m- must see if if you if you could do it you know because it was just it seemed so inappropriate you know that that venue and her but uh it was it was i i caught it a few times it was rich <laughs> i bet it was and she probably had a real keyboard player playing with him, roberto so i'm sure he he had all okay. the cues and everything down. Okay, John. All right. Well, you missed your chance at the big time there, John. But, I really uh, did. But but then uh, then so so uh, how, how do you get from uh, George Porter to uh, Papa Grows Funk? Because that's uh, that's that's where you first really kind of uh, you know branch out and as a national presence. Yeah, you know, at that time, this was uh, right around nineteen ninety nine two thousand. I was also doing Mule Bone with Mark, but Mark was playing with Harry Connick Jr. Mm-hmm. George was also playing, you know, his main gig was with the Funky Meters and the Meters. Right. So at some point, and I was on Bourbon Street and not happy with my future. I did not want to stay in Bourbon Street. Playing with George really got me exposed to 
touring, seeing the world and playing with all kind of incredible, great musicians. And I wanted more of that. Yeah. And when I realized that my life depended on Aaron Neville's schedule, I realized <laughs> I had to become independent some kind of way. Okay. Because Aaron Neville, that's when he had his big hit as a solo artist. So when he would do his solo tours, the Neville brothers could not perform. When the Neville brothers performed, Art Neville would always play with the Neville brothers, so the Funky Meters could not perform. If the Funky Meters could not perform, then George would book the running partners, all based on Aaron Neville's schedule. There's a whole domino effect there. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 and when I realized, it's like, my life is dependent on Aaron Neville. I've never played with Aaron Neville. I'm sure he's a great guy, but like... right. <laughs> When I got to pay my bills based on a guy who's making millions, it's not fair. You're like, I just got to find my own way and be dependent. I can't stand his voice. His voice is the most annoying voice I've heard since like that guy from Rush. This <laughs> awful, awful voice. <laughs> Have you ever been in a room without microphones or speakers and heard him sing? No. It really is a gift from God. Yeah, he sings like an angel, man. He, really? He's, yeah. he's, ugh, ugh, I can't stand his voice. Record, yeah, you know. and with all that money, you think he'd do something about that thing on his face. You know? <laughs> oh, Manny. <laughs> you know? I'm sure they were telling Cindy Crawford that, too. Yeah. There you go. There you go. And Bru Drew Brees. And Drew Brees, exactly. Right. All right. Yeah, everybody's going to get some plastic surgery. So, so they so, – George is busy, and then all of a sudden, Aaron's going to focus on his solo career, which means Art Neville wants to focus on the funky meters. George comes to us in like late 2000 or early 2001 and says, I'm going to take a year and focus on the funky meters. So go okay. find some work. All I mean, right. it's one of the greatest things a band leader could possibly tell you. You know, in this town, most band leaders don't really communicate what they're doing in the big picture to their, to their band members. Right. So he told us, go get some work. Uh, so I'm playing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday at the tropical Isle, touring with George and then working on original project with Mark. And we can't really work cause he's busy touring with Harry Connick jr. And I think I need to do something for me. I met Dale Trigero, the owner of the old point bar. And he had started having Johnny Vodakovich and Stanton Moore play over there. And he goes, if you ever want to do something, let me know. So after about a month or two, I said, I want to put together a jam session, kind of like what I used to go here when I was running the streets in college over at Benny's Bar. You know, you walked in, you didn't know who was playing, but there was always like some kind of blues jam, funk jam. It was kind of like they all knew the same set list mm. or types of tunes. And just shit happened. And it was amazing. Okay. And he goes, yeah, you want to do it? What night? I said, well, I mean, Thursdays are open. Fridays, goes, I need a weeknight. And he was like, well, how about Monday? And I'm like, well, I work Mondays. But by the time I was so frustrated with it, like, here's my opportunity. So I quit playing Monday nights at the Tropical Isle. Uh, gave up my $125 to $150 a night to go try it out. And so I Dale gave us an opportunity. I called up June Yamagishi, Russell Batiste, Mark Piro, and Jason Mingledorf. And uh, I told them, got a little jam session gig. Uh, 
I don't know what we're going to play. I'm going to call tunes and grooves and we're just going to see what happens. Okay. We probably had a hundred people show up that first night. It was about, wow. It was a week in between French quarter fest and jazz fest. All right. And then the following week was the first Monday after jazz fest. We probably had 200 people show up. Wow. Holy shit. On the not, West Bank, and that place is, it's not like right in the middle of everything. I mean, I, I hated to go there because you got to run the gauntlet going across the Mississippi River Bridge and then drive back and all. So that's, that's real commitment, man. Yeah. A lot of people take the ferry over and then jump in and share cabs on the way back. A lot okay. Of so anyway, like, well, this has got to be something. People just showing up. So we just said, all right, every Monday, let's do it. And people stopped showing up just about. <laughs> By October, we might have been playing to five to ten people, huh? And about ready to call it quits. And it was—I remember this was the Monday before Halloween, year two thousand. We spoke. We were starting at eleven o'clock on a Monday night. It got to be ten fifteen. Nobody had walked in the door, and Dale's like, "You want to call it?" I'm like, "Yeah, I want to call it." He goes, "Let's give it another ten minutes, or whatever, and we'll call it." Ten minutes later, some friends of mine walked in. And they're like, y'all haven't started yet? Why haven't you started yet? I said, well, I've got nobody to put here. And uh, he goes, well, what do you need? And it's like, we want you. We came all over. We want you to play. I was like, well, we need, I need enough money to pay the guys. And then they, I told him how much it is. He just whipped out $50 bills and said, let's, I want y'all to play. All right. Okay. So shot a Jägermeister, started playing to my two friends, the bartender and Dale. And within 30 minutes, we had 50 people walk through the door. And then another 30 minutes later, probably another 25. And it was probably the first time we had a decent crowd since uh, the night after Jazz Fest. And who knows why or what, but we were just doing shots. Jägermeister the whole time got completely fucked up. Russell Baptiste broke it all down, grabbed the microphone, stood on top of his drum kit, and declared he was the first black man ever to deliver pizza in Kenner. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was a wacky night. And then ever since then, people started showing up. And so we just kept going. Uh, were you all a- calling it Papa Gross Funk at that time? We were. We were. Okay. John, I just have one thing to say. Yep. You know who you have to thank for that night? The Jägermeister guy. Chris Owens. that's right that's right john she could have snapped you up and had you uh uh, chained to the radiator down on bourbon street for the next 25 years and it would have never happened no (laughs) well so so you have a residency there at at uh at uh, at the old point bar at some point you guys move over to the maple leaf on those monday night gigs right right word had got out to hank at the maple leaf uh that we were doing really well and he started sending his, uh, I call them, I don't know, not cronies is not word, but his minions. He calls them Spies. minions. Spies. Uh-huh. Okay. And the word got out, Hank wants to talk to you. Hank wants you to play Monday nights. They were doing the piano night on Mondays, and they weren't getting more than 10 people all night long. So uh, after Jazz Fest, I'm just kind of thinking, if this has any future, we really got to get uptown because that's where the funk's happening. Right. And so I just decided, let's go uptown and we did and we were there for 12 years on wow. and, and those were kind of legendary nights I, I imagine it became one of those nights where uh you know 
a lot of people do and blow not in the band but i, I just uh, this is my impression tell me if this is correct or not but that there was a among the clientele uh, a heavy uh, coke scene and uh you know all that jamming and all the coke and the drinking and uh did, did, did i have the the picture uh, correct john i mean that's where the song cocaine and chicken fricassee comes from right your song you immortalized that that night but uh but that's reflecting reality that's right yeah it's a reality of you know 13, 12 years of playing monday nights you know they said we would never it would never take off and i think it's i mean george is playing there now on monday nights or at least before covid and he's he was been there four years and doing great on monday so yeah you know that it was a vibe where we got a lot of bartenders a lot of chefs waiters waitresses you know service industry people who, who would come out on their nights off and monday was like their friday night and they would rage they would just right. rage. and and that's a place that a lot of tourists go to particularly during the festival season so you know the people from other places would see you was that kind of the the introduction to y'all being able to tour nationally was you could go to some of these other markets and people had seen you at the maple leaf Exactly. I mean, there was one Monday we played. Um, I remember meeting this guy. He's like, uh, hi, my name is uh, whatever. I'm from Germany. Uh, came all the way to see you. And then two weeks later, I get a phone call and then an email. We want you to play our festival. He came. Nice. He, we were on his list of things to scout. Right. And, you know, four or five months later, we were playing in Hanover, Germany. Right on. You just never knew who was going to be in the, walk through those doors. Um, we had Metallica hanging out one night. They were just the greatest guys in the world. Oh, okay. To talk with. Uh, we had Joe Jackson was hanging out. Uh, cool. Uh, Steve Winwood came out. Oh, nice, uh, man. Joe Sample, uh, Warren Haynes, uh, Derek Trucks. I mean, we just, you just never knew. And they were all on Coke. Who knows? Right, right. You weren't, you weren't, uh, you weren't passing out drug tests at that time. Yeah, they didn't have like you know, the COVID, you know, swab. <laughs> right. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, so, well, so so then you, while you're holding down that uh, that that Monday night over that time, you guys start going out during summers or and and playing tours and. We st actually our first road date. You know, what, there's like all these funky meters fans and and most of them come from out of state and they go to school at Tulane could be radiators fans too right you know, they, they go to school at Tulane they go back to the east coast Chicago Colorado west coast and because Russell was in the funky meters I was in George Porter's band uh, June was with the wild magnolias these were the people coming to see us so this is before Facebook and social media. We just the message boards, somebody would come to see us and they'd all start talking about us uh -huh. and then get the word to the promoter and the promoters would start calling us up. Say, hey, come to New York, come to um, Colorado, come to San Francisco. And by that time we, we had a manager who like wanted to try to make us the next big thing. And he was like, we got to go, we got to go. And he would front the money for these tours and hopefully we we made ends meet sometimes right. we did sometimes we didn't right so, so it was a lot of those two lane loyola students 
Absolutely. Who, who brought your music back with them to wherever they were from. Absolutely. Yep. That's, isn't that what, uh, Renee, if I remember correctly, isn't that what um, Tommy Malone said? Well, well, Dave, his brother, Dave Malone, who's Dave, yeah, in, Dave, the, yeah. in the radiators. Yeah, well, it's, ama- it's fantastic that you guys were able to uh, to um, tap into that, that radiator's uh, fan base because those people are, are, are you know, are rabid and and very devoted um yes. and and they all want they all want to show new orleans to their friends when you go to their town so you know if there's one you know guy or one girl who was at tulane and hung out the maple leaf or saw us play in the tulane quad or you know or tipitinas or something we go to their town you know, it could be chicago all of a sudden she's bringing anywhere from four to ten of her friends like this is what we threw down to every monday night Right, right. Not all the, they just want to relive it, you know? It, it was sure, sure. And all we had to do was just bring it. Right, right, right. And you were already uh, w- well into your your uh, your your uh, devotion, your 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 love of, of of the triumvirate of Dr. John, Art Neville, Alan Toussaint, and uh, so so you were you're carrying all that out there. I know that uh, that's. Those those guys are are like right up right up top of your uh, your your you know your yeah absolutely uh, most of it was from the Neville tree because I didn't bring I didn't bring a piano with Papa Grips Funk it was I was playing mostly B three and clavinet and that that was it but yeah those those guys with the work that they did it's a, they laid out the blueprint print for us to do whatever we were doing right right cool. Renee, is it that time, I think? It is that time, my friend. Okay. Uh, John, what we usually do around now is go refill our glass, get another libation, and we'll be right back. The nation knows the drill. So, uh, John, you get yourself a drink, and Renee, I'll be back in one minute. (laughs) What happened to the shoes on my feet? One more night of running the streets. Where did I go? Why am I here? I thought I'd add me a couple of beers At the bar she sat, legs crisscrossed Her eyes were blue, her skin so soft She said, come with me, I'll show you around Then finagle away, back uptown She's beautiful, beautiful, she's so fine I could afford her a bottle of wine A little bit of happy ain't gonna hurt me Cause I'm as poor as old Joe's turkey He's as poor as Joe's turkey And we're back. Back with Mr. Manny Chevrolet. I am Renee Coman. Back with our guest, John Papa Grow. Now, John... Uh, we have a terrific product that uh, we've been affiliated with for for some time now, uh, and I'm not sure the nation knows about it. But uh, Manny, why don't you tell John about this terrific product? John, are you listening? I got to get one, whatever it is. <laughs> it's called the Velo Bar, John. Mm. Really, the Velo Bar. The Velo Bar is a CBD uh, oil bar. Oh yeah, it's it's uh, it's a beautiful thing that's going on. Uh, a, a friend of mine from high school started this company. It's exciting. We've been we've been promoting it for a while now. I've been eating them for a while now, and I feel great. It's it, it's <laughs> a 
It's a healthy protein bar that will fill you up and calm you down, John. It, it's got 25 uh, milligrams of CBD per bar, which is a perfect dose to take the edge off of whatever you're feeling and dealing with right now. And I think, you know, what we're all dealing with has been going nuts, crazy going nuts. There's a lot to deal with. Yeah, a lot to deal with. And check this out. It's a plant-based protein from healthy superfood ingredients like pumpkin seeds, hemp hearts, and chia seeds. It's a great breakfast bar. It's great after a workout. It's great after, like, having sex. Are you telling me this is non-GMO, gluten-free, and great after sex? Yes, okay. this is what I'm telling you. Oh my God, this is what I'm telling. Even great after masturbating too. Okay, well, uh, that's a form of sex. You know? Yeah, um, but so listen, right now, John, if you go to VeloBarCBD.com, you can check out the two fabulous flavors they have right now: peanut butter and dark chocolate. If you order now or tomorrow or the day after tomorrow, you can get fifteen percent off your order by using. The discount code of Troubled Men 15. Troubled Men 15 will get you 15% off your order and free shipping. Oh, yeah. Is that one L or two? One L. One L. Oh, Troubled Men oh. 15. Check it out at uh, velobarcbd.com. You're not going to regret it. You know, I don't know. Uh, uh, I don't know where you live. I don't know where you are. I don't know how you function. But if you need some stress relief or just a good healthy protein bar besides these other brands that you find at the supermarket, get the Velo bar. The Velo bar will rock your world. And in fact, right now, um, I, I, I heard there's a rumor that the company is uh, going to form a band called hmm. Papa Grows Hemp. Okay. Well, okay. <laughs> it's just a rumor. I don't know. All right. But check it out, man. Check it out. What else do we got going on on the agenda here? Uh, well, man, you know, as always, uh, we have the, uh, the, the link to support the Trouble Men podcast directly. You can find in the show notes or uh, our Facebook page. And I want to give a shout out to Hirsch Katzen and Patrick Gorman for their support this week. Cool. Um, so thank you, guys. And again, uh, T-shirts are available, and you can also uh, uh, order those through the, the Facebook page. Or, or they sound like a law firm. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's uh, yeah, right, right. Cat, uh, uh, Katzen and Gorman. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. You don't want to fuck with those two guys, man. Yeah, <laughs> they'll sue exactly. the shit out of you. Yeah, right, right, right. So hopefully they're they're they they hopefully they're they're happy customers. Well, they they didn't buy shirts yet. So, but uh, but but the shirts are going. You know, they're steadily. We're again, we're getting photographs of of the Trouble Nation wearing their shirts. So, uh, you know, don't don't uh, hesitate to. Uh, Buy them for your for your loved ones for this uh, gift giving season. Okay, well, back to our our guest, John Papagro. So so you're you're playing out there for all these years, and I I I, I heard an interview with you where you were kind of describing the the arc of uh, of Papagro's funk. That uh, you know you guys were working real hard. You were primarily doing uh, a lot of the work. Um, as far as the, the off bandstand work and, uh, I don't know, it just kind of ran its course and you were trying to figure out, uh, you know, maybe you had a personnel change trying to figure out if you want to keep doing it. Uh, you were at a crossroads. Uh, yeah. So one of the guys wanted to quit 
and the rest of the guys did not want to replace him. They said, okay, we're just going to quit. We don't want to do it anymore. Hmm. So I kind of got the band kind of fired me, I guess. I don't know how <laughs> that's how I took it. Now but this yeah, was after it, six, you, you all had been put out six records and it was it the last one that was produced by Alan Toussaint. Right. You know, it, we had some, it was a band. So we had a lot of ups and we had a few downs and we had a couple really big downs and I was frustrated because I was doing, you know, probably the job of 10 people and those guys were showing up and playing great every night and I couldn't right. get them to do anything else. Um, we weren't making enough money to make anybody happy. And it just kind of got a point where that showed up in the music for the first time. You know, I was like, we never, music was never a problem for us. It was always evolving, always pushing, always throwing down hard. But when everybody was frustrated and, you know, you're giving up family time to go on the road and nothing's getting better, just it, that starts showing up in the music. And we got pretty stale and stagnant. And, you know, there's not a lot of great things going on. So when mm-hmm. he was starting to quit, all of a sudden we had the greatest six months of our 13 year history. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, I was pretty devastated by the fact that, you know, we were breaking up and then I was mad and then I got really happy and excited because I realized we had accomplished an awful lot. We, uh, played great music and it changed my life for the better. And so my last three to four of that was really a great ride into the sunset for Papa Gross Funk for me. So I just gave it like I always had everything that I had put into it. I just kind of just tried to make sure I wouldn't take the last six months for granted mm-hmm. uh, on stage, off stage, all of it. And uh, it was a great run and, and it was time. And, right. you know, I knew when we did our last show that like, this was it. I know I will not do this again uh, in this, this format. So where was that last show? It was at Tipitina's. We had played Tipitina's an awful lot, you know, not as much as the Maple Leaf, but you know, we never could sell, I don't know, maybe three, 400 tickets, but our last show we sold out and that was just wow. a good, it's going out like Mike, you know, it's uh, nice. going out on top. Re- nice. really, uh, it was just great. Cause to be able to, in the last six months, we were able to get out of debt and I was able to put a lot of money into all of our pockets. Uh, which is right something on. we had been trying to do for 13 years. We really went, it, it was a, a good way to go. Right. Well, cool. So, yeah. so then at that point you, you figure, okay, well now I'm going to do something that, that, you know, that was like a band that you fronted, but uh, were you conscious that, you know, you wanted to have more of a thing that you, that, that was just you or that, that you would control? I knew it was on in the future, but I, it wasn't going to be anytime soon. Okay. And so I kind of took, two or three months off my wife and I had like three and a half vacations. And then I started being a side man. I was playing with Anders Osborne. I was playing with Dave Malone and raw oyster cult. Mm-hmm. And then I do shows with uh, George Porter, uh, Zigaboo and Leo knows called the meter men. Right. Which is right. All the meters. And for about two years, I made more money as a side man than I had ever made as a band leader or on Bourbon Street, like, man, this could be really good. Mm-hmm. But then it all got back to 
none of them were dependable to gigs. I never knew when I was going to get a phone call, how stable it was going to be. Right. Uh, you know, I just like, now's the time to really start investing in myself, especially, you know, I was, uh, late forties, mid, mid to late forties at that time. Okay. And I'm not getting a day job. I'm not filling out a resume for anybody. I'm not going straight. Sure. I've got to, <laughs> yeah. I got to find a way. And the best way is just invest in myself. And there was a lot more music that no one knew f- about me. Cause all I had done publicly in the big scheme was Papa gross funk as an organ player. No one knew me as a piano player. So I kind of started focusing on that side of my abilities. Okay. Which was great. It was all, it was, it seemed, everything seemed new again. Right. We're working as a solo artist and you, you, you started uh, concentrating a little bit more and like a uh, sort of uh, roots rock to, to a certain degree and, and, or, or, or more Americana a little bit uh, along with the, uh, the new Orleans R and B. Yeah. And then focusing on songs, Papa grows funk focused on groove and jamming. Uh-huh. That was from the first gig all the way to the end. The jam and the groove was the only thing that was important. And so with the new project, I really wanted to focus around songs because the jam band world is a great community, but it's fairly small And songs, which I learned, you know, from my bourbon street days, songs are what touch people songs, are what people remember. And, uh, I, wanted to write songs that people could remember instead of grooves that people could dance to when they're fucked up drinking or on cocaine. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So I I saw focused on songwriting and that's, and once I got a collection of songs, then I started to build arrangements and try to figure out which way to go with it. And the songs kind of led the direction. Sure. Sure. So you, you made, uh, you just recently this year put out your third solo record, uh, which is Central City. And I know, uh, you know, you had an all-star lineup playing on this record. Uh, besides myself, you had uh, George Porter play on, on most of the tunes and, and, uh, and, and Don Vappi, who, you know, the, what, a, what a talent that guy is. Show you how, how things are connected in New Orleans. When I was a freshman in high school, my closest friend was studying with Don, studying guitar with Don, and I bought a Mutron 3 envelope follower through this guy from Don Vappy. Oh, nice. <laughs> when I was 14. I wish I still had that thing, but uh, I don't know. Never could figure out how to, how to effectively use it, but uh, it, was, it was a cool one. I was on a session. He was like, bro, you don't ever call me for your funk gigs. It's like, I didn't know you did that. Yeah, man. I got the funk thing. I back in the day I had, and he even mentioned that Mutron pedal. I had a Mutron pedal. I did all that funk stuff. Yeah. Was he in like track one or one of those bands? Like one of those Griffin. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, man. (laughs) So, so, so you made this terrific record and you, you had all your ducks in a row and uh, what was your release date? Release date was April 17th. Okay, 20- John. <laughs> Timing is everything in this business. <laughs> <laughs> so at that point, once once the lockdown happened, you you had a you were you had a decision to make. It's like, uh, do I try to pull this back? It's like, no, we just got to go forward. Yeah, you know, I thought about all the ramifications and if I really had options and the bottom line is 
all the money. You got to go on tour. Yeah, all the money was spent. Uh, right. I spent everything that I had saved to make the record, to hire the musicians, to print uh, the records, to, you know, everything that it took to hire the publicists, uh, marketing stuff. I mean, it was t-shirts. I had all my money was out and I really had nothing left. Right. I was at the, I got to money's got to come in, especially with the rest of the year getting canceled. So I was like, it took about a, an hour to really kind of, when I thought about the spreadsheet, money going out, money coming in, money's got to start coming in. So mm-hmm. fuck it. We're going to release it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, and and you've you've done well. And uh, a couple of, uh, we had another guest, uh, yeah. Chuck Prophet, who was kind of in the same situation and uh, you know sa- similar timing frame, and just get, just got to push ahead, man. In a certain respect, uh, there's a, a bit of a vacuum that uh, you know you could kind of push this material into that people are starved for for uh, for for you know new material. Yeah, it was great because um, in that regard, because the. the the first month of chaos, how do you go online? How do you zoom meet? How do you live stream? You know, this is not just for musicians. This is for everybody who's trying to get online. Right. And they're trying to network and keep their friendships based, you know, through zoom meetings and Facebook groups and, you know, everything just goes online. So after a, a month of everybody doing that, boom, then the record came out. And I spent that first month trying to figure out, how to put it up on my website, how to receive money and how to do shipments. And so that was my first task. COVID first task was that. And once I figured it out, we made the release date. I got to tell you, I probably sold more physical product online than I would have at French quarter fest or jazz fest and all the club gigs. Wow. It, it, Terrific, it was man. a good first start and people were starving for new music. Right. Uh, and the other thing about it in the scheme of things, there's not a lot of new music being released this year. Everybody is kind of waiting till next year to come out with something. If everything goes back to normal. Right. Right. So I was one of the first people to have a you know artist to have a new record out and new Orleans fans kind of, got excited about it which was nice. new for me <laughs> okay <laughs> and at the same time you're you're saying you you i know you you were reluctant to uh to jump into the live stream uh thing initially but then i guess uh i read where where our previous last week's guest alex mcmurray uh suggested that it would be a good move for you yeah he, we were talking and he goes uh, have you done the live string? I said, no, I haven't. I'm not too sure I want to do that. He goes, you need to do it. And you're going to thank me later. And that's all he did. <laughs> and, uh, so I dived in and financially it was really great in the beginning days of it. And as soon as I finished my first stream, I called him up and I just said, I'm thanking you later. Right. <laughs> nice. But then since then, and he said, he said, no, you're not. You're paying me later. Like he should have said that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so at, but, but then subsequent to that, you really dive in deep and, and you more so than, than anyone else I know who was successful at this, by which I mean, uh, trying to figure out, okay, how do we really raise the quality on these live streams? So now I've done a few with you where you have 
four cameras, like one camera on each player. You have everything as a separate channel. It's, it's you were telling me how long does it take you to set that that whole uh, thing up before before did you do it? Well, I'm streaming tomorrow night, so we're we're recording this podcast on a Wednesday. So I'm streaming on a Thursday. Uh, I started setting up Monday for this. Wow, from scratch. And it's just, it's so many details. And the whole point is when it's time to stream, I can't think about those details. I can only think about music. Right. So it kind of just, it's a slow methodical process that I've kind of developed to work it out. And the reason is why I just jumped in hard on is I just saw so many people doing it as a quick buck and a quick buck never lasts a long time. And I'm still trying to figure out how I'm going to retire. What, how am I going to make an income, you know, when I'm 70? Um, John, you know, the musician's <laughs> retirement plan is death, right? You understand that. The, the, Mine's a little bit different. Okay, uh, well. <laughs> my, my, my musician plan is play when I want to, not when I have to. Well, good luck with that. But I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's why i'm working so hard <laughs> okay john <laughs> but yeah um, death on a bandstand is also a great way to go <laughs> it is go. It, it yeah is. yeah 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 or you know you, yeah you get back to your hotel room and lay down and just uh you know yeah either way we like them both um, maybe like you know so many great musicians died at 27 maybe there should be another age where so many great musicians die, like the old musicians die at 77. Seven yeah. or 72. Uh, 72. There you go. Good. Yeah. 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 Good. yeah. yeah. I think I have a new goal, man. I think I'm going to try to figure out, I'm going to like go to Let's that date and, and plan. I'm going to back plan to see if I could. <laughs> Dude, I'll help you out any way you want. <laughs> okay. I know I can count on you, man. <laughs> yeah. I'll help you out. You want to die? I'm there for you. <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> you know, be, my, be my pleasure, Renee. It'll be my pleasure. <laughs> right on. So, so John, so, so besides the Central City record, I saw that uh, Tipitina's released uh, the Magnificent Seven record that you're a member of that super group. Yeah. Uh, we, Magnificent Seven was a brainchild from a friend of mine who was a big Radiators, Subdudes, and Papa Gross funk fan. And so every jazz fest, he would throw a backyard party and we would all get together in different configurations of duos and trios and play in his backyard the night before jazz fest started. Okay. And then after 10 years that he goes, what if we all, what if I got y'all to just put a band together? <laughs> I'm like, it's going to cost a lot of money. You sure you want to do that? And he goes, I'll figure it out. Let's so go. This is my friend Andy's it was his brainchild and he just said call him call everybody up and make it happen and so we did a gig of the rock and bowl and it sounded pretty good it was a lot of fun it was a uh, Dave Malone Tommy Malone Robbie nice. Curio from Galactic mm-hmm. Mark Mullins on trombone uh Raymond Weber on drums Bugsy oh, yeah. Malone yeah sure <laughs> him too yeah and uh yeah it, it was a lot of fun, and we did five gigs over the course, I think, four and a half years. And Andy was is a big supporter of the New Orleans music scene, and when the whole COVID 
thing happened and with Robert being an owner of Tipitina's, he's like, uh, I think one of these gigs is good enough to release. Can we do something and get some money to Tipitina's? And I said, absolutely. Let's, let's listen to it and pick, pick 70 minutes and cram as much music as we can on one record and see what happens. And so on. We, I helped him put it all together and released the record and did a short run. There's no digital copies available. It's just only a hard CD okay. with all the proceeds, a hundred percent of the proceeds going to uh, the Tipitina's foundation or the, I guess Tipitina's. Tipitina's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause, uh, cause the foundation is one thing, but, but at this point we're trying to keep Tipitina's open, <laughs> trying yes. to keep the lights on over there. And as of yesterday, I think, think there's only 70 cds that are still available okay nice nice so man it's kind of a word of a mouth thing but you know hopefully it's uh, doing some good for those guys right well I, I like those bands that only play a few dates but can can blow it up into uh sort of uh you know legendary status we had uh, the great reverend fred lane on a a few weeks ago and he said in his entire career as Fred Lane, he only was on stage four times and they, they have three records. And, uh, so I, I, uh, I like that. I like that, uh, that, that ratio. I tell you what, Magnificent seven and five gigs went from the rock and bowl as first gig. And our last gig was jazz fest, accurate stage midday. Okay. Well, yeah, that's, 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 uh, that's good progress, John. I think you guys should, st- all of y'all should st- stick with the music business, man. It might, might, uh, you might have a future in this. <laughs> no, I say you might, because you know, we're, we're COVID. We, you know, they're, they're talking about a vaccine, but, uh, you know, it's, it's just talk right now, John. So, so John, if you had to, you know, you're a very circumspect guy, if you had to, you know, look out with your crystal ball. So we now Mardi Gras is getting canceled. So we have to all assume the festivals are going to be canceled for 2021. Don't you think? That's what I've been thinking the whole time. Uh, 2021, at least through early summer, will be will go according to how Mardi Gras rolls. And if Mardi Gras canceled, I'm expecting French Quarter Fest jazz fest to get canceled hopefully maybe they try to reschedule for the fall of 2021 as the best chance because we blew this as a country john we we could have done this correctly you know back in in march we thought oh well we have to lock down for a month and people like oh god a month Uh, uh, i can't do that you know and then and then like you know, six weeks in, like, well, we have to open everything back up. It's like, so now we have the worst of, of both worlds where we have, you know, raging cases and also we're, we're nowhere close to having this uh, under, under control. And, and we had absolutely no leadership from our fearful leader. No, and, 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 we spent and, a ton of money. We lost a ton of wealth, you know, trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars, dollars of productivity and wealth of the American people that will never be recovered. Right. This is modern day Lord of the flies right now. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's not going to get it. You know, you're absolutely right. I I feel for you guys because you're musicians and stuff, but uh, uh, you know, our fearful leaders not, not giving over his job yet to the president elect. Right. To help this be a calm and, and smooth uh, uh, sequence of 
uh, transition uh, of power. Yeah, 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 transition of power, and you know, it, it's it's just going to make it worse and worse and worse. And uh, uh, and you know, uh, like I said, I think I think I said a week or so ago, it, it's a shame because uh, I, I voted to try to get all these incumbents out because they're the ones to blame for this. Right, the incumbents. You know who are who've been in the office. I mean, there was this. I heard today there's this a Republican senator from Virginia who just got COVID, tested positive for COVID, and he's 86 years old. Yeah, 86 years old. Jesus Christ! It's like, what are you doing? Why? Why didn't you retire 20 years ago? Right. You know, like at home going to Burger King for breakfast with the little breakfast club and going back home, taking a nap and like call it a day. Yeah. And, and change and yeah. having someone change your diapers, you know, sure. that kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. You could afford uh, some outside help. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the future's unwritten, but uh, I don't, I, uh, I got a pen. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, maybe as as he continues to uh, to burn down the government and and you know install all these unqualified people in all these important positions, I thought, well, you know, there's a couple of months uh, left, Manny. Like, you know, there might be room for you and me in this administration, and there's a lot of jobs that we're not qualified for that they could uh, they could stick us in. Yeah, I could be, you know, the Ministry of uh, Chaos. I could, I could, you know, I, I would love that, you know. Okay, all right. So have you noticed? Have you noticed his hair isn't orange anymore? Is it what? What's happening with it? It's it's become some kind of I don't know grayish. Plumish kind of look. I, I, I don't know. It's become very strange, and you know, I, uh, I I'm just waiting for January twentieth, where um, you know they're going to have to like he's going to be like you know putting the furniture against the door and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like no, no. Uh, anyway, that's conversation for another show. But sure. listen, John, John, yeah, yeah. Know, You've been a fabulous guest. Uh, yes. We had some technical difficulties early on, but we made it through. Yes. Uh, and I think, Renee, John's one of those guys we should have back for like a part two. Absolutely, because he's got an yeah. easy demeanor and he, he's, he has a yeah. wealth of knowledge and uh, he's, a, he's a close friend of the show already. So. Yeah. And so, John, what we like to do is we like to say for our sign off is that trouble never ends. But the struggle continues. Good night. Every night. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Good night. Hey, baby, let's go dancing in the street. People that we meet. Oh, not me, what you say, my darling. Buy your water strong, baby, pass that thing along. Spy boy run, engines come. Body crawl, body crawl.
something please Something special just for me Oh, Nane, what you say? Mardi Gras Mardi Gras We're all dancing till the morning Come to the beat of the big beast 